Production. Recorded live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another new episode on Hour of the Truth. This time we have a special on Hour of the Truth on Sunday, the 27th of September, 2015. It's the day, when I'm not mistaken, that the Antichrist will leave the United States of America after a few very eventful days of visits to that continent to the second beast of Revelation 13. We spoke already a little bit about the Pope's visit and the Pope's speech that he did uh, to the joint session of Congress on Thursday, and we will not go very much deeper into that today because this broadcast today is um, dedicated to our friends and brother in Christ, Tom Fress, who does for the moment an excellent, excellent reading of the book The Global Vatican in um, Inquisition Update on First Amendment Radio. And you have to understand why this is such an excellent reading that he does. Because when you listen to that, you will now firsthand understand how the dragon talks when listening to this book. Listen by Tom's explanation what is really meant by the Jesuitical casuistry and sophistry used in that book, that you have to understand was not written for Protestants, but Catholics. A very important read to be understood in the light of the visit of the Antichrist that just happened this week to the United States of America. I mean, this Francis Rooney who wrote this book, he was an ambassador to the Holy See, so-called Holy See, to the Vatican, between the years 2005 and 2008. So you have to keep that in mind when we start reading this. We will today do a reading of the first chapter of the book and only of the first chapter of the book because this is to promote Tom's reading that you listen to that and it's not for ourselves that you listen to our reading but it will give you an idea why this is so important to read and to understand. In my humble opinion, Tom could not have chosen a better time to choose this book to read online to people and that the information gets out. My channel is not the only channel that covers the book reading. There is also We Are One Big Family that uh, covers that. And of course, First Amendment Radio brings videos out on that. And I will ask everybody who is on this call and listens to our broadcast today, when you have a YouTube channel, to think about that, to even upload the same videos on your channel. Because the more views it gets, the more people have a chance to see through the sophistry and casuistry used by the Roman Catholic Church and the Pope and the Jesuits and all their minions. Today on my call, I have two guests, Walt Stickel, as you know, probably already from Grand Design Exposed, who set up the call, what I'm very thankful for. Thank you, Walt, for doing that. And we have Again, our friend over there from Minnesota, if I'm not mistaken, Brett Norman. Brett, how are you doing? Great. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks for coming. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And looking forward to the reading? Absolutely. Is there anything you'd like to say before we get started? Well, uh, if it's all right, I have a question for both of you, uh, if now is a good time, or we can wait. Um, and this is something that I just came up with just minutes ago. 
And I have a question, and that is for you, Walt in York. What has or what does the word human and Catholic share by definition? Well, I think that is not such an easy uh, question to answer. <laughs> it's not. It's not. But it's um, something that was on my mind. The the point is that um, the Catholic religion is all about humanity and humanitarian views, and has nothing to do with the views of God. God That's doesn't correct. call us humans; He calls us men. That's correct. And there's a little difference, but I think quite a profound difference between those two. Huh? Right, right. And it just jumped at me because, you know, I listened to Tom Fress, and he has gone over this, um, this casistry and sophistry over and over, and he mentioned the word human, and I looked it up in the, in the dictionary, and uh, it has um, a quality that I can read and go into if you'd like, but um, basically my point was is that um, they both kind of lump the fallen state of humanity and uh, humanity that, or actually I should say the fallen state of man and the, the, the uh, state of man that also is holy and professes to the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, and it lumps them together in one entity, so Catholic also means universal. So to me, those two just have like the same quality of being like a universal. They, so are, kind of, they are kind of interchangeable. Yeah, exactly. that's, that's why the Roman Catholic Church, of course, promotes the so-called human rights. Yeah? Yes. Um, and you don't have to forget where this human rights came from. The Declaration of the Human Rights were put out at the end of the French Revolution. Mm -hmm. And the French Revolution was a movement of the Enlightened, of the Illuminati. And who controls the Illuminati? The Jesuits. And who do they work for? The papacy, the, papacy. the Roman Catholic Church, the Universal Church. So it comes all out of the same pot. They use different words, but they actually always mean the same stuff. But I think there was something Walt wanted to say, right? Uh, yes. Well, first of all, we're not humans. We are uh, children of God, and God, and God calls us mankind. And a human is a worldly name. And I'd like to get a quote from J.C. Philpot. He says, Man's religion and God's religion. Man's religion is to build up the creature. God's religion is to throw the creature down into the dust of self-abasement and to glorify Christ. We're just a piece of dirt. The only good in us is the Christ that lives within us. And that's the difference. And the Roman Catholic Church is all about humanism. Yeah, and the Roman Catholic Church, and especially the evolution movement, puts us on the same steps as animals. So there is no difference between man and animal in their point of view. And that's a big difference with the Bible point of view that you can have. And also, I like what Jeremiah <clears throat> said. He said, 
Humans have the law of God in their hearts as they show the works of the law and the power right. that be our and and the power that be our are are from God. See. Another yeah, word. we're going to go into that in the reading also about yes. Romans 13. I've made some quotes on that. <clears throat> yeah. Well, thank you for allowing me to bring that question forward right away. Oh, no problem. Okay, Walt, is there anything else you want to say before we start the reading of uh, Chapter 1 of the book, The Global Vatican, today? No. This, no I'm ready for the, to get into the book. Okay. So, the first chapter is called Faith and Revolution, and the undertitle is The Greatest of, all, uh, of Evils to be Feared. By reputation, the United States is a Protestant country, and Catholics were asserted to be unsuited for it. Yet virtually every Catholic writer or thinker who visited America since 1607 has been excited by the country's extraordinary consonance with Catholic faith. And quote from Michael Novak. And how does that come? That the Catholics are excited about the country's extraordinary consonance with Catholic faith. Because they infiltrated from the beginning via the pulpits where they could, even though Roman Catholicism was forbidden at that moment. But how is it possible that within 80 years after the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States, the Catholics became, I think, um, the biggest uh, denomination, if you can even call them a denomination. Okay, I'm going to get into Chapter 1. The first question any author writing about the Vatican asks is, where to start? The Catholic Church has been around for more than 2,000 very eventful years. And by the way, when one of you guys has a comment, just say comment and I will stop reading and you can lose your comment like I will lose my first comment right here. Because in this very first sentence, the Catholic Church has been around for more than 2,000 very eventful years. Here we encounter the first lie. The Church of Jesus has been around for that time. The Catholic Church, which should add Roman to her title, is not the continuation of the true Church, the first Christians, the Apostles' Church, or in other words, the true Church of the one and only God of the Bible. The Roman Catholic Church can be seen as being founded by Constantine in 321 AD, when that Roman emperor ruling from Constantinople baptized the pagan Roman religion with the garments of Christianity to stop the gospel from spreading like wildfire. If we, <clears throat> if we go to the real founding of the Roman Catholic Church, we have to go more than 4,000 years back. We have to go back to Babylon. To put the longevity of the church in perspective, consider that the United States of America is currently on its 44th president and the church is on its 264th pope, 65th pope. Sorry. That, of course, was at the time of the writing of the book. Now we have the 45th president of the United States of America and the 266th pope in 2015, the time we are living in today. This is a sweep of time so vast and rich that no single volume could do it justice. 
This volume obviously intends no such thing. We are interested here in the church primarily as a diplomatic entity. And here is the first proof that the Roman Catholic Church is as political as it is spiritual. The two keys <clears throat> of the church's emblem resembling just that also. So, we are interested here in the church primarily as a diplomatic entity, particularly in relation to the United States. The United States is, I remind you, the second beast of Revelation 13. And that's why the relationship between these two entities is more important than any other relationship between the Vatican and other so-called states. The 1,800 years of Catholicism, and I really like to say always at Roman Catholicism, the 1,800 years of Roman Catholicism that preceded the birth of the United States will not be ignored, for no aspect of the Church can be isolated from its long history. Given this project scope, though, the distant past will be treated only briefly. And while much of, <clears throat> while much of what is told here will be compelling in its own right, touching upon some of the most important human events, human events, there you got it, Brad, of the last few centuries, this is history with a purpose. In part, that purpose is to give American readers insight into the nature of the Holy See, its guiding principles, and its legacy of engagement in the affairs of states. Now, Listen closely to that last part of the sentence. And its legacy of engagement in the affairs of states. Instead of engagement, you could better read interfering in the affairs of states. One primary purpose is to answer a question that I have been asked many times since serving as ambassador. Why, given the obvious congruence of our values, did it take until 1984 for the United States and Holy See to recognize each other formally? And the answer lies an understanding of this most singular relationship. And I have to comment here again, of course. I'm sorry. <laughs> this, uh, the answer lies in an understanding of this most singular relationship, he says. Well, that's because of the church's involvement in the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. But I guess that won't be addressed here in this book, Mr. Rooney. In 1867, the relations to the Vatican were cut off because of the aforementioned fact, the involvement of the Jesuits in the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. There is no better place to begin this inquiry than on the campus of my alma mater, Georgetown University. Tom, can I have one more comment? Yeah. In 1984, Ronald Reagan was the first president to be sworn in on the west side of the Capitol. And he also met the Pope of an Anchorage, Alaska. And, and Reagan got out of the airplane and went over to the Pope's plane. The Pope didn't come to Reagan's plane. And, and that, that, that is, that, from, from 1984 on, all the presidents had been sworn in on the west side. And that was a sign, Alberto, in the Alberto series, 
Yeah, Alberto Rivera revealed that, that that was an inside sign for the Jesuits that uh, when that, that happened, they yeah. knew that uh, the Catholicism took over the United States Completely. of America. Completely. Completely. And we've yeah. seen that on the 24th of September. <clears throat> so 1984, you know, and we had our first full-blooded communist, Ronald Reagan. Absolutely. Okay, going back to the reading. Just inside the main gates of Georgetown, rising from the circular lawn in front of Healy Hall, is a statue I have walked by hundreds, maybe thousands of times since first stepping onto campus more than 40 years ago. I'm sure that many mornings in my undergraduate years I raced by the bronze figure on my way to class with barely a glance. These days it never fails to grab my attention. So, and why is that one might ask himself? Because now he understands the importance of the person resembled in that statue, as we will learn just reading the next paragraph later on. This author knows the history left out by design of the school books of the American education system, or shall I better say, indoctrination system, and reveals it in, its, in his writings right here. This day, it never fails to grab his attention who the statue is. And this fits very well in, I have to say, into all the last broadcasts we did on Hour of the Truth, on reading the booklet that uh, Walt Stickel put so wonderfully together, the Vatican Jesuit Global Conspiracy, where we expose and expose again and again and again the role of the carols who flew under the radar and Chris Pinto made a documentary on the hidden face of the Founding Fathers. I'm waiting for someone to make a documentary on the hidden Founding Fathers itself. But actually, that's quite of what we are doing right here. So, <laughs> I'm going to continue. Most Americans have forgotten the name John Carroll. No, they were never taught the name, neither the role this family played in the history of the founding of the United States. In the words of a Roman Catholic source itself, and Walt can tell what that source is, the carols flew under the radar. And that they flew under the radar is by design. Do you have that quote uh, by your hand, Walt? No, but that is, a, that is a, actually you, that is a quote that comes from the, the Catholic founding fathers, an educational Catholic site. Mm -hmm. That's the Catholic. That's why I said it's the Roman Catholic that. source itself. Yeah. In 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 you know in other words, <clears throat> I want to stop here and just sh sh bring it to our minds and replay this. You know, uh, the carols are so important. And in other words, we don't bring the carols up. We we're bringing the carols up because they should be in history. I just had a. a a friend of mine gave me a, a gift. He sent a book to me. It's the end times, the life and uh, times of Archbishop Carroll. It was printed in 1888. It's 800 pages. You don't think that John Carroll was important? I, we've dwelled on this 
on this broadcast and every one of the listeners that listen to this, they know the carols, and it astonishes me to this day. I asked a listener, he's had a chance to fellowship with a couple listeners yesterday, and I asked them when they knew about the carols. <laughs> oh, a year and a half ago, two years ago, talked to a man, 61 years old, who knew who the Antichrist is when he was 37 years old. But it never, and he's a graduate of, of, of college, and he never was told anything about the carols. This is the key. This is the key. When you understand the carols, you understand the Roman Catholic influence on the American Revolution. And so when you're, you're in conversation and you're sharing this with somebody else, all you have to do is ask them if, they, ask them if they've ever heard of Charles Carroll, Daniel Carroll. If they don't, brother and sisters, they're unaware. I mean, this, has been, this is by design. This is one of the most important parts of our American history. Because it started the ecumenical movement in 1776. That's true. I mean, it, in other words, you couldn't have had 2015, the Pope's visit, without 1776. It was essential. And all we're saying is, we're saying this as historists, the carols deserve to be in history because they were founders of America. That's, that's the comments I want to make. Okay. I just saw that I left out a sentence, and uh, I'm going to start all over. After these days, it never fails to grab my attention. It has to read, the subject of the statue, as every good Hoya knows, is John Carroll, the first Catholic bishop in the United States and Georgetown's founder. Most Americans have forgotten, and you uh, remember my comment I read there, about um, that they have never forgotten, but they just were not taught this, the name John Carroll. Also largely forgotten are the once celebrated names of his brother, Daniel, a framer of the U.S. Constitution and his cousin Charles, a signer of the Declaration of Independence. You won't find much history in, te uh, won't find much in history textbooks exactly, <laughs> about this once prominent American Catholic family. In fact, you won't find much about Catholics at all in histories of early America. Today's histories include a wider variety of people, Native Americans, African Americans, Dutch, Jews, and I'm sorry, I have to ask you, Mr. Rooney, where are the Germans? They made up almost 50% of the immigrants to the United States, to the new continent at that time. Why are you leaving out the Germans? Native Americans, African Americans, Dutch, Jews, okay, then just pilgrims and Puritans, but still not much about Catholics and even less about the Carols. This is unfortunate, the author says, and I say I agree. But it's by design. It is not unfortunate. It is designed to be that way, Mr. Rooney. The Carols were not only important founding fathers of the United States. 
They were also, and this applies to John Carroll especially, critical early links between the new nation and the Catholic Church in Rome. As depicted in the sculpture at Georgetown, John Carroll sits in a chair perched atop a granite pedestal. He is dressed in the flowing robe of a bishop's vestments, and his expression is pensive and dignified. I have no idea if Carroll the man looked anything like Carroll the statue, but the pose is striking. Carroll's face turns slightly to his right, as if he's gazing through the buildings and the trees of the campus and down the Potomac River towards swampy Washington, D.C. The nation's capital was literally a swamp in Carroll's days. And again, I have to add here, today, that is figuratively, ask yourself what is worse. Anyway, it still is a swamp today. It's a cesspool of abominations and both figuratively and literally a place of fornication in all biblical senses. He appears to be contemplating the future. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe he's looking further downriver toward the distant Chesapeake Bay, recalling the difficult past. One of the unsettling truths about America in which Carroll was born and lived is how inhospitable it was to Roman Catholics. Well, I guess we'd never talk of the inhospitality the Roman Catholic Church renders to Bible-believing Christians throughout her history, Mr. Rooney. The colonies were populated overwhelmingly by Protestants, and though many of them came to escape persecution in the old world, they did not extend their hopes for religious liberty to Catholics in the new world. Now, are we not talking about what persecution was here? An estimated 500 million souls who died in vain for their Lord Jesus Christ of the Bible for upholding the truth of God of the Bible that the Roman Catholic Church has trampled on since her very inception. He likes to omit a lot of things. Huh? But you have to remember, he writes this book from a Catholic point of view to Catholics and not to heretics like us. Massachusetts Bay yeah. He's writing this book to evangelicals too, because the evangelicals do not have any history. Uh, the evangelicals have no Protestant history, let's say that. Yeah. Yes. So when an evangelical reads this, or an atheist, it sounds it sounds like they have the answer, like they were, you know, but you know. And also, I want to insert in here, you see, dominion theology is Roman Catholicity. Sure. I want to be, you know, after the Pope's visit now, I don't have to be shy in what I say. Dominion theology is Roman Catholicism. When you want to restore America, what do you want to restore it back to? <laughs> That's the same question that you can ask the reformers. What do they want to reform? How can you reform the synagogue of Satan? You, you, do you want to reform it back to Thomas Jefferson, who wrote his own Bible? Thomas, or Thomas Paine? The, in, <clears throat> the founding and the root of America is the Bible. 
Well, when you want to restore America to its roots, then you have to go back to the Puritans, to the time of the Puritan colonies that you had over there, when Protestantism reigned sovereign over that new continent. And 99% of the inhabitants at that time were Protestant, and only 1% was Catholic. And even that 1% is too much. Yes, and in other words, and we've already covered it. And uh, Francis Rooney is 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 brilliant. I mean, at leaving out the history, but he also he also admits we've already read that the that the Charles Daniel and John were founding fathers, and who is called the the father of the nation, George Washington. And that is a religion in itself. People that want to hold George Washington up as a Christian. I'm not going to be bashful anymore. George Washington was a Freemason. He was a Universalist. And we're going to get into it a little bit further, and I want to make my final comment on George, on, on George Washington when we get to that part in his book. So, mm-hmm. go. Yeah, we also dealt with it in the last broadcast on Hour of the Truth, where there was proof that George Washington probably even uh, turned to Catholicism, or how, how do you say that, uh, converted to Catholicism on his deathbed. Right? Yes. That's we were Catholics, talking about that on Thursday on our show. That's Catholic, in Catholic circles? <clears throat> In 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 Protestant circles, I mean that's yeah, that's no. that's, the difference. that's that's again the difference wall. That's the esoteric and the exoteric knowledge, and the insiders, the esoteric, know what it was all about, but they have to sell another story to the people, because otherwise they would never get all these people running to the United States Army and fighting the Crusades for the Pope, right if they told them the truth. I'm going to continue now. Massachusetts Bay Colony set the tone in 1647 when it banished under the threat, under the threat of death any, quote, Jesuit or ecclesiastical person ordained by the authority of the Pope, unquote. Virginia had a law excluding Popish recusants, meaning Catholics who persisted in practicing their faith, from a host of occupations and rights. Some version, <clears throat> sorry, some version of this law was on the books in nearly every colony, including John Carroll's birthplace, the province of Maryland. And why is that? That is because the early settlers, immigrants, knew of the danger of the Roman Catholic Church, as opposed to of today. They do not know that anymore, and they still knew who the biblical, historical, and prophetic Antichrist was. People, get that in your heads. These people flew from Europe. They flew from the oppression of the Antichrist into a new country, a new world, a new continent. And if there was any government to be set up, it could not be a government under a king that is under the iron rod of the papacy and that is what the early settlers understand and that is what the people today do not understand anymore because they have that democracy the people rule and well, they, I don't see the people ruling 
and they yep. knew and they knew the Bible. And they, they knew, knew the who the little horn and and Daniel was. Exactly. The man of sin, the son of perdition. They knew the biblical, uh, historical, and prophetic antichrist. The little horn. Yeah. They knew who the little horn of Daniel was. Mm-hmm. They knew who the man of sin, the son of perdition in Second Thessalonians. And they knew the mother of, of harlots. You know, revelations. They knew their Bible. Exactly. Initially, Maryland was intended to be the exception of the rule. <laughs> and like so often, the exception becomes the main rule, right? The colony was founded by a Catholic Englishman, Cecil Calvert, better known as the second Lord Baltimore. Calvert's father, George, was the first Lord Baltimore, had been granted a charter by King Charles I, and that was a Catholic, remind you, in 1632, to form a settlement along the Potomac River. While never conceived as an exclusively Catholic enclave, Maryland was meant to be a place where Catholics might enjoy, quote-unquote, mutual love and amity. Well, with Protestants, free from persecution on account of their religion, May I ask you, how can two walk together lest they agree, as the Bible says? How can there be mutual love and enmity between real Bible-believing people and Bible-trampling, forbidding people of the Pope? I don't think that is possible. And the history of the United States of America today shows that it is not possible. George Calvert died shortly after receiving the charter, and it was left to Cecil to organize the settlement, which he did in 1634, when the Ark and the Dove landed in Maryland's Chesapeake Bay, carrying Jesuit missionaries along with Catholics and Protestant settlers. And before Walt interrupts me, I will do the quote. (laughs) The Ark and the Dove landed in 1634, and when you want to understand this even better, and deeper, read the book by J. Moss Ives, and then you will have a better understanding of what the ark and the dove did. And by the way, isn't it fantastic how they choose the name of these two ships that landed in Maryland? The ark and the dove? What do the ark and the dove stand for? When you read the Bible... Ask yourself this and then see how the Antichrist takes the word of God and twists it that it fits his agenda. You still have a comment, Walt, or shall I proceed? Yes, it was the beginning of civil and religious liberties for Catholics. That's right. The spirit of enmity held for a number of years. In 1649, the Maryland Assembly took a historic step, ensuring the right of Catholics and Protestants to practice their respective religions. Maryland's quote-unquote Toleration Act, limited as it was, no allowance was made for Jews or other non-Christian faiths. Mr. Rooney, what are you saying? No allowance was made for Jews or other non-Christian faiths? 
Mr. Rooney, Catholics are no Christians either. That's a point you like to oversee. No allowance was made for Jews or other non-Christian faiths. It's widely considered a template for the establishment and free exercise clauses of the First Amendment that would be adopted by the United States 140 years later. And this First Amendment of freedom of religion was the end of the beginning, was the beginning of the end of real freedom of the people living over there in the then colonies. But Maryland did not turn out to be a happy refuge for Catholics. Five years after its passage, the Toleration Act was tossed out in a Protestant coup within the colony. Catholics soon regained control and reinstated the law, but by 1692, after the Glorious Revolution in England, when the Catholic King James was replaced by the Protestant William of Orange, praise the Lord, they imported William of Orange, who has roots going back to Germany, as, I'm, as far as I know, and he was made King of England, a Protestant King of England. They had lost power again. Protestant orthodoxy became the law of the land. Hallelujah! Talk of religious toleration did not resume for another 80 years, which is a good thing, I might add here. Comment? Yeah, please, Walt. Well, it's either a misprint or, or it was done purposely. Uh, it says, <clears throat> he says, after the, after the glorious revolution in England, when the Catholic King James I, it was James II. I think that's a misprint, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, you, you know, quite convenient. <laughs> it's quite convenient to put it, you know, to put it on King James I, who what they named, you know, the King James Bible. Now, James II went to France because of the Glorious Revolution. He went to France because his daddy lost his head in 1649 for doing the same thing he was doing. He tried to pass the Declaration of Indulgence, which was another form, another word of saying the Declaration of Independence. Mm -hmm. And what they, what, was, what they were unable to do in 1688 with the de Declaration of Indulgence, they were successful with the Declaration of Independence. But I don't know. I would not say. I would not say for sure whether that was just d done on purpose. It was James the second. That's true. I'm glad to have you on that call to catch up that mistake because I just read over it. I, I wasn't sure about that, but I thought I thought King James was the the king of the King James Bible, and that lived quite earlier than that. So <laughs> that's right. It was his grandson. Uh, I, I I didn't I didn't stumble upon that. Well. I didn't. I didn't either. I didn't either until you. you I was looking. I was looking at it, and, and see they're relating it with the glorious revolution. That is mm. something that's that's not in our history either. No, of course not. No. I mean, people. You know. I mean, that is. <clears throat> and, and, but I'll tell you that the listeners on this broadcast they know about the glorious revolution. <laughs> you know, and I mean that's that's it's the the difference between our call and the and the in a alternative media is we're talking about history. They don't talk about history. They talk about world events and drama. Mm -hmm. That's true. Okay. We caught this mistake of 
naming James the first instead of James the second, and it wouldn't make any sense to replace James the first with uh, Protestant William of Orange, would it? <laughs> so it's probably James the second there. The persecution of Catholics varied in degree during these years, but it was persistent. Anti-popery laws restricted Catholics' rights to celebrate Mass publicly and to baptize their children, as well as their rights to vote or hold office, and generally dismissed Catholics as misguided and possibly seditious aliens whose, faithful, uh, whose faith precluded full citizenship. Having been tempered by years of persecution, and I might add here, for once the hunters became the hunted, Maryland Catholics learned to accommodate their faith to reality. Some prospered financially in spite of such indignities as a double tax on their land elected in 1756. The Carroll family managed to become one of the largest and wealthiest landholders in all the colonies. And right at this moment, I have to add a little uh, comment that I didn't prepare, but I remember when Tom Fress reading this book, and he went deeply into the family of the Carrolls. They were already rich before they came. They made their riches as the soldiery of the Pope from their Irish roots. And really, again, please go to the playlist, The Global Vatican, and follow Tom's reading on that. He even has a much deeper insight than we have here. And, and the Carrolls got that land grant uh, the Maryland Charter, uh, they got it from Charles I, who was executed. Mm -hmm. And, that's, and they, so a lot of their land was given to them, but like uh, Tom said, they had, they, they, this was a wealthy family. These were yeah. warriors. Warriors for the Pope. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Rich or poor? Catholics worshipped quietly in homes or in small private chapels, a function both of the illicitness of public mass and the scarcity of churches. Most of their priests were in itinerant <coughs> missionaries who traveled great distances through the countryside, showing up in towns between long intervals to perform baptism, and I have to insert here, baptism, we are speaking about unbiblical sprinkling water baptism and infant baptism and weddings. And um, the weddings are also unbiblical pagan Babylonian marriage with exchange of rings, which is tradition and not of God's ordination of marriage. Burials and other rites. Quote, you must not imagine that our chapels look as yours do, unquote. One Jesuit missionary wrote home to England in 1764, quote, they are in great forests, some miles of any house of hospitality, swamps, runs, miry holes lost in the night, as yet and ever in, uh, will in this country attend us, unquote. Given these obstacles, it's a good bet that the man who later became the first bishop of the United States seldom met a priest as a young boy. And I have to add here, 
that you could really say that that maybe was a blessing, a young boy who didn't need a priest. So he maybe wasn't raped like most of the other boys do. Okay, I finished here now the first part of chapter one. And uh, unless there are any comments from Walt or Brett, I will give it over to Brett to read part two of chapter one. Okay, I'm ready to go. Can you hear me well? Loud and clear. All right, great. All right, so part two. John Carroll was born in Upper Marlboro, Maryland, on January 8th, 1735. Not much is known of Carroll's childhood. He was probably educated at home as a young boy, as were many Catholic children, since Catholic education outside the home was prohibited. At age 12, he attended a semi-covert Jesuit school at Bohemia Manor on the upper eastern shore of the Chesapeake Bay. A year later, in the summer of 1748, 13-year-old Jackie said farewell to his family and sailed out of the Chesapeake following a route across the Atlantic taken by many Maryland Catholic boys in the 18th century. Accompanying him was an 11-year-old cousin, Charles, the future signer of the Declaration of Independence. Neither would see home again until they were grown men. Comment? Go ahead. Indoctrinated Jesuits would be more fitting to describe them at that point instead of grown men. Mm -hmm. Continue. The Carroll cousins landed in London, then made their way across the Channel and north through France to Flanders. A Jesuit school there in the town of St. Omer had been educating Catholic boys since the late 16th century. The school offered an extraordinary education for an American, deeper and more cosmopolitan than any colonial Protestant was likely to receive at the time, albeit one learned by exile from home and family. Quote, most of our Marylanders do very well, unquote. John's cousin, Charles, write home in 1750, quote, and are said to be as good as any, if not the best boys in the house, unquote. Comment? Go ahead. You just read about the education. Huh? The school offered an extraordinary education for an American. I would say Jesuitical brainwashing, indoctrination, and spiritual formation was granted to these people who went over there. Absolutely. Continuing, given events on the political horizon in the late 18th century, the circulum at St. Omer was notable. Along with Latin and Greek classics, students were given a diet of Catholic theology as interpreted by the intellectually probing Jesuits. They would have been exposed to Thomas Aquinas' writings from the 13th century, but also to the work of 16th century Jesuit thinkers such as Spaniards, Francisco Cerez and Juan de Marina, and Italian Robert Bellarmine. Comment? Go ahead. 
They would have been exposed to Thomas Aquinas' writings. I want to remind our listeners that Thomas Aquinas, the greatest philosopher the Roman Catholic Church ever has in their own, have ever had in their own words, based all his writings on Plato's teaching. Plato, Socrates, and Aristotle, the Greek basis for the fourth and final beast in this world. Greek philosophy, Plato's writings, Bellamine, remember that, uh, Bellamine, uh, Aquinas, remember that. Please continue. Okay, and we were at these authors, right? Yes. These authors were in their way as rousing as John Locke on the liberty or in the subject of liberty in Summa Theology excuse me, in Summa Theologica, Aquinas distinguished between just and unjust government, proposing that subjects had to had a right to rise up an unjust tyrant and even commit tyrannicide in certain extraordinary circumstances. The Jesuit writers took this line of thought a little further, expanding the conditions for resistance against corrupt monarchs. Rulers ruled with the consent of the people. The Jesuits argued and the lost legitimacy when they lost consent. Such ideas did not sit well with Europe's monarchs, and would eventually haunt the Jesuits. In the meantime, the education at St. Omer armed its students well, both intellectually and morally, for the looming battle for liberty. Comment? Go ahead. For the looming, what's it called? The looming battle for liberty. What liberty are we talking about here? We are talking about the liberty from the laws of God. That must be understood at this moment. Liberty from the laws of God. That's exactly the same as the so-called human rights and all that. We make our own rights. God's rights, God's laws don't count here for anything anymore. That's something that you have to understand when you read through this causistry in this document here. Well, that's okay. That was my comment. Okay. Back to the reading. John's cousin, Charles Carroll, left Europe and returned to Maryland in 1764 to take his place as his father's heir. By the early 1770s, Charles was caught up in the political fervor in the colonies. He engaged in a widely publicized debate in Maryland in a Maryland newspaper, emerging as a brilliant and inspiring proponent for the cause of liberty under the pseudonym quote, first citizen, unquote. Comment? Yes. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you, Brett, but <laughs> go right I, want ahead. Remind, I want to remind our listeners to go back to the booklet that Walt put together, the Jesuit Vatican Global Conspiracy, uh, Vatican Jesuit Global Conspiracy, and compare the reading between the ages 108 and 111 in, the, uh, 111 in that document when talking about the first citizen. There we go, uh, there <clears throat> Walt goes much deeper with other quotes into the meaning of that first citizen that Charles Carroll is uh, named here with. So, Okay, continuing. 
Charles' entry into politics was remarkable, given that he and his fellow Catholics still had no right to vote in Maryland. John Carroll took a different route after St. Omer. He remained in France and entered a Jesuit seminary. Ordained by, or excuse me, ordained a Jesuit priest in 1759, Carroll took his final vows in 1771. His uh, final, yes, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. The Good. final no, vows. No. <laughs> the final vows in 1771. Understand this. This means the inclusion of the fourth vow of induction. The evil Jesuit fourth vow of induction that also the Pope Francis took. And if you want to know more about that, uh, that oath, if you don't know it, uh, you can go to my channel and check the video I made on that in the time of Nothing But the Truth to our broadcast on explaining what this vow uh, is about. And this is also a vow that Carol took in its final vows. Um, I went on that by explaining by a Jesuit paper that I got from a Jesuit here in Leuven in Belgium where I live about how many times and how many vows these Jesuits have to take and when it is stated the final vows that includes the fourth vow of induction. But please continue, Brett. Yes, his timing could not have been worse. This was precisely the moment when Europe's Catholic monarchs, including the rulers of France, Spain, Portugal, and Sicily, decided and had had enough of what they perceived to be the Jesuits meddling in seditious and seditious behavior. On August 16, 1773, Pope Clement XIV buckled under the monarch's demand to put the religious order out of business. Comment? Please. To put this religious order of the Society of Jesus out of business was all planned by the general of the society at that time, Lorenzo Ricci. Reading the book, or following my reading of the book, Rulers of Evil, will shine a light on this planned deception that you can learn more about that. But that was all planned. It's all staged, as the whole world is a stage, remind you. Please continue, Brad. Okay. Deciding that the Jesuits were more troubled to the church than they were worth, he issued a papal bull known as Dominus Ac Redemptor. The Society of Jesus was, there, or excuse me, was thereby suppressed, quote-unquote, the papal, or I'm sorry, the bull was, quote, one of, the, one of the unfairest pontifical acts in the history of the papacy, unquote, one biographer of John Carroll has written. The papal historian Eamon Duffy calls it the papacy's most shameful hour, quote, unquote. For John Carroll, the suppression was a devastating blow, quote, I am not and perhaps never shall be recovered from the shock of this dreadful intelligence, unquote. He wrote home to his brother, Daniel, quote, the greatest blessing which in my estimation I could receive from God would be 
immediate death, unquote. But God had other plans for John Carroll in 1774 to escape the despair that Europe had come to present, or excuse me, to represent to him. He boarded one of the last passenger ships to leave England for the Chesapeake Bay before the Revolutionary War. Okay. Are there any comments from Walt? He has been awfully quiet at this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I want to make a comment here. When um, when Francis Rooney is commenting about God in that last statement, that's not the God of the Bible. God had other plans for John Carroll. Yeah, Satan had other plans for him. Exactly. Sure. I was going to say something, and I'm glad you did, Walt, because uh, that is true. Because, see, when you read this, somebody in a secular world that doesn't have any history, you know, uh, you know, you see the secular world, the atheists and the, uh, and the left, the left uh, in this country, they consider, they consider Roman Catholicism Christian. So in other words, we are to all take the blame for Christianity, in which, and in turn, they're not talking about the same God. They're not talking about the God of the Bible, who, you know, they're not talking about the God that Martin Luther and the Reformation and the light of the Reformation that that freed men and give us freedom of conscience. They're not talking about that. Catholicism, Catholicism is so suppressive. When you walk into a Catholic church, you're not there to ask questions. No, and you are to check your brain at the door. That's that's right. And they and you something about uh, uh, philosophy, Aquinas. We were mentioning Aquinas. Listen, Roman Catholicism is nothing but philosophy. Exactly. That's the it point is. that I was making, based on the. Philosophy of the Greek Empire of Aristotle, right. uh, Plato, right. and uh, uh, the last one. <laughs> oh, I mean, the, these some of these men they got a silver tongue. Yeah, they have a silver tongue, boy. They can talk when they start talking that philosophy, and that's why the Bible is if it, if it, Corinthians two eight. Not, anyway, I can't Colossians two eight. Beware, let any, no no man deceive you. And that isn't what it says. Let no man, no, beware. That's, let that's you, Second Corinthians that you are quoting. Say it. Say it. You got it on your tongue? Uh, no, it's, it's Second Corinthians uh, two no. verse three. Let no man deceive you by any means. Right? No, no. I'm talking about uh, beware. Beware. Let no man spoil you through philosophy. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I let, know what you mean. Yeah. You know, beware. Let no man spoil you. Through philosophy. Oh, and they sure will. <laughs> oh boy, Man. they they can they can sound so good. They can turn, and that's that's how Satan has turned the world. You know. So anyway, that's my comment. Okay, Brad. Do you have any closing comments on your reading you did on part two of chapter one, or shall I continue? Uh, no. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. We have to imagine how difficult his homecoming must have been for John Carroll. He was 40 years old, well into middle age, and had been away for 27 years. His religious family, the Jesuits, 
had been condemned and outlawed by the Pope. His father had passed away and a, few years, uh, a few years earlier. His mother, whom he had not seen since he was twelve, failed to recognize him when he first returned. And while much had changed in Maryland in the years that he'd been gone, the colony still refused to grant him and his fellow Catholics the right to practice their religion as they pleased, not to practice religion as God pleased, but as they pleased. Practically a stranger in a strange land, Carroll moved in with his mother as Rock Creek in Maryland, where he built a small wooden chapel to serve local Catholics and began a peripatetic ministry to more distant Marylanders and Virginians. I don't know if you all understand the word peripatetic, but this is also based on Aristotle's teachings. Here we go again. The Greek influence of the Roman Catholic Church, or in the Roman Catholic Church. Meanwhile, the winds of revolution were sweeping across the colonies. The Boston Tea Party occurred a year before Carroll's return in December 1773. By 1774, delegates of the colonies, spurred by the intolerable acts, that's a series of law passed by the parliament after the turmoil in Boston, and better said, the turmoil of Boston, uh, never forget the Boston Massacre, when because of snowballs thrown, shots were fired to kill four and injure even more innocent Protestants at that time. We're meeting in Philadelphia to discuss tactics against Britain. The first shots were fired in Lexington and Concord in the spring of 1775, and Bunker Hill came two months later. The American Revolution was initially a mixed blessing for Roman Catholics living in the colonies. On the positive side, all the talk of liberty raised the promise of new freedoms, including freedom of religion, well, which the Roman Catholic Church is fond of as long as she does not rule supreme freedom of religion. Look at today, 2015, where in the United States, biblical fundamentalists are labeled terrorists. Where is the freedom of religion here to be found? There you can see that Roman Catholicism took over the United States in the time between 1776 and 2015. Freedom of religion dies off at the expense of Protestants, of real Bible-believing people. One auspicious sign. Charles Carroll, though still unable to vote, attended the first Continental Congress in Philadelphia in 1774. The fact that Marylanders were apparently putting their faith in a Catholic was a step in the right direction. <laughs> yeah, for the Antichrist Church to gain ground, not for the founders of the colonies, when we are speaking about the quote-unquote right direction. The right direction from the point view of the Roman Catholic Church, I remind the dear listener here. But along with anti-British <clears throat> anti sentiment came, ironically, a new wave of anti-Catholicism. This was generated mainly by the Quebec Act, passed by Parliament in the summer of 1774. The Quebec Act, usually lumped among the Intolerable Acts, was a blatant attempt by the British Parliament to seek support from the Canadian provinces. Recognizing that much of settled Canada was still French-speaking and very much Catholic, as it had been under French dominion, 
the British offered the Canadians the right and freedom to practice their faith, provided they profess allegiance to King George. In other words, serve two masters and remind you that King George was controlled by Catholics. The act also included a provision to hand over frontier territory to Quebec's Catholics, land that many Americans believe was rightfully theirs and which would eventually become part of the United States. The response to the Quebec Act in the colonies was outrage. Anti-British rhetoric now blended with long-simmering fears of popery. In October 1774, the Continental Congress, in an address written by John Jay, later the first Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, issued dire warnings of a conspiracy between the English monarchy and the Roman Catholic Church, citing the Church's propensity for, quote, impiety, bigotry, persecution, murder, and rebellion, unquote, Jay insinuated that the Pope intended to help Britain enslave Americans. And that was another step of dividing the colonies from the British Empire, a step necessary for the Jesuits to get a foothold in America. Remind you of that. Jay was hardly alone among the founders in promoting anti-Catholicism. Even so fair-minded as uh, a man as John Adams scorned Catholics as poor wretches fingering their, bats, their beads. Unquote. As he wrote <clears throat> home to his wife Abigail after attending a mass in Philadelphia on the same October that John Jay issued his address. In the immediate wake of the Quebec Act, Adams encouraged Protestant preachers to use their pulpits to inflame feeling against Catholic, the Catholic Church. His Boston cousin, the rebel-rousing Sam Adams, went even further, denouncing popery as, quote, the greatest of evils to be feared. Now, what was this first chapter of the book, The Global Vatican, called? The greatest of evils to be feared? How right he was. But then, quite abruptly, the attitudes of the Americans began to shift. One important indication of the new direction was an order issued by George Washington to the Continental Army on November 5th, 1775. November 5th, remember? Remember the gunpowder plot, a very special date. In anticipation of an annual holiday known as Pope's Day. Do you think that is an in coincidence that George Washington does that on November the 5th, 1775, 171 years after uh, the gunpowder plot. Marking a Catholic plot to blow up the House of Parliament in 1605, uh, so that's 170 years, sorry, the holiday called Guy Fawkes Day in England after its most infamous conspirator, and remind you that this most famous conspirator was a Jesuit, Guy Fawkes, was traditionally celebrated in America by burning the Pope in effigy. General Washington condemned, quote, that ridiculous and childish custom, unquote, as he put it, quote, so monstrous as not to be suffered or excused, unquote. Now, many people who say that Washington was a Protestant should ask themselves why he, by saying this, went against all Protestant principles. He was as Protestant as the Pope. 
Washington Wilson, comment, yeah. please. Now let's stop here. This, in American history, in the history books, in the evangelical circles, they have made George Washington a god. He's called the father of the nation. They deified him and put him up in the rotunda. <clears throat> He's also, he was also a member of the Society of Jesus. He was the first, no, excuse me, Society of Cincinnati. Excuse me. He was the first president of that organization, which uh, glorified Cincinnatus, a Roman general, and he was a Freemason. This is the Dominion theology. They have to have George Washington, a Christian. And this is, this, and notice what he said, General Washington, and imagine a Roman Catholic, Francis Rooney, writing this book. How can he get away with this? Because he knows that the history has been swept away from America, and he can get away with it. He says, Washington condemned, quote, that ridiculous and childish customs. He was a neighbor to Charles Carroll. He sent his stepchildren to, George, to Georgetown. He, he had a business. Uh, he was a partner in business with Charles Carroll. Charles Carroll was the wealthiest man in the colonies. And we don't know about Charles Carroll and the Carrolls. Now, well, we're learning. We're learning. We're, but, and he calls it that ridiculous and childish custom. Now, I said this the other day, and I said, well, you know, you're kind of stepping out of bounds here a little bit. George Washington, we all know by this, was a Roman sympathizer. But as we said earlier in the broadcast, in Protestant circles, in Catholic circles, he converted to Catholicism on his deathbed. He was a he was a Freemason. He was a Universalist. He was a humanist. George Washington was a Roman Catholic. No doubt about that. And his actions confirm that. History to call, to call this Guy Fawkes Day a ridiculous and childish custom so monstrous as not to be suffered or excused. And, and that pill that I just give you, get a couple glasses of water to get it, wash it down. But that diffuses all of these patriots. They have to have George Washington and the icons that they used in it to as Christians and it was brilliant it's as simple as this they just left the Roman Catholics out of the founding of America it doesn't get any simpler than this 
And it doesn't get any clearer than here. And if we were still, if it wasn't, if it wasn't because of George Washington, if it was, if we were still celebrating Guy Fawkes Day, and that people knew their history, and were burning the Pope on November fifth, you wouldn't have had September twenty fourth. No, fifteen. That's for sure. It, it's you know nobody likes to feel like they've been duped. You know, but boy, the American, the world has been duped by the Jesuits. Agreed. You know, that's my comment. Okay, I continue then. Washington was moved by his real sense of decency. <clears throat> really? But he was also being pragmatic. Just a year after the Quebec Act, the Patriots had come to realize that they needed the French Canadians on their side. Burning popes in effigy was not going to win friends with Quebec, uh, friends in Quebec, who were most of uh, most of it, remind you, Catholic. So when you burn the pope, you will not get their support, right? Comment? Re yeah, please. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, add to this. Also, there is a. Uh there is a incredible parallel that runs in modern day life that goes along with burning something in effigy, and I believe it's in Nevada. Can anyone think of what that might be? I'm not familiar with it. Burning Man? Have you heard of Burning Man before? The Burning Man, uh, uh, they have this huge wooden structure they build and then they they set it on fire I, i'm pretty sure you guys have seen it right or no i've i've heard about it but i can't tell you that the time of the year they do it but yes i have i i've watched a little documentation on it one night yeah yeah it's pretty freaky but it makes me think that you know there it's kind of like the uh the whole idea of uh the you know protestant day being um october 31st and then in reality, October 34th, or 31st is really uh, Halloween. I mean, it's just... Well, that's, so, what they made, that's what they made of it. Yes, yes, exactly. So It still it, is Protestant Day. It is, the, it is the day when Martin Luther nailed his 95 right. Thesis to the church at Wittenberg. Very important. Very, Very important. important day. And, and what did they do of it? They uh, invoked ghosts and uh, evil spirits. By celebrating Halloween. Well, and that's one of the things, just one little thing that really uh, impressed upon me when I was listening to Eric Phelps, Eric Phelps back when I listened to him, is that he would say, well, I celebrate on uh, October 31st, um, Christ Day, really, because that is when the Reformation started many years ago. And it, it's a good point I just wanted to bring up. Well, that's uh, a good point that he made there, absolutely. We all should remember that Protestant day, and uh, as far as I remember, it was a long time uh, a holiday in Germany, mm -hmm. at least in the northern part where I lived. Probably not in Bavaria, <laughs> <laughs> but in Protestant North Germany. <laughs> okay, continue reading, last paragraph on page 9. Regretting earlier outbursts, the Continental Congress decided to send a special committee of ambassadors on a diplomatic mission to Montreal to make amends 
and try to lead their northern neighbors to the colonial cause. The Congress named Benjamin Franklin to lead this committee. Franklin would be accompanied by two other delegates to Congress, the, Maryland, the Marylander Samuel Chase and, listen, Charles Carroll. Though Franklin brought his prestige and fame to the mission, Charles Carroll was the indispensable man. Not only would he be religiously agreeable to the French Canadians, but he also spoke fluent French. John Adams, who had so recently dismissed Catholics as quote-unquote simple and ignorant, had to admit that Charles Carroll was neither. In a letter to Abigail, dated February 1776, that's his wife, to remind you, Adams described Carroll as a man, quote, of great abilities and learning, unquote, as well as, quote, a zealous supporter of the rights of America, unquote, in whose cause he has hazarded his ale, his all. Now, I'm going to read this last sentence again to you. Adams described Carroll as a man of great abilities and learning, as well as a zealous supporter of the rights of America, read the rights of the Pope instead of America, in whose cause he hazarded his all. Before sending the expedition off to Canada, Congress also resolved that uh, Charles Carroll would ask his cousin, Father John Carroll, to accompany the group, to accompany the group, sorry. Like Charles, John spoke fluent French and Latin, which would be useful. Nor would it hurt that he was a Catholic priest. He was a Jesuit-trained priest. We have to add here to get the full understanding, not just a merely Catholic priest, but Jesuitical training for, what was it, Walt, 16 years or something in Europe? St. Omer, Liège, Bruges, and Flanders, where I live over here? Uh, uh, well, John Carroll had 26 years of education. And oh, 26, yeah. Uh, yeah. The other ones were 14, yeah, okay. I yeah, yeah. I knew you could help me out here. <laughs> Thanks, Walt. John Carroll appreciated the, quote, distinguished and unexpected honor, unquote, of the invitation, but he had doubts about the chances of the mission's success and his own credentials as a diplomat. Despite his hesitations, he agreed to go. The four Americans departed from Philadelphia in the early spring of 1776 to commence an arduous journey, north overland to New York, then along the Hudson River to Albany and across Lake Chaplin, Champlain to Montreal. The orders they carried from Congress instructed them to promise the Canadians that if they cooperated, the Americans would treat them as equals and leave Catholics alone to practice as they choose. John Carroll's concerns turned out to be warranted. The Canadians were in no mood to help the colonists who had so recently maligned them. The committee preserved in Canada for several months, but to no avail. When Ben Franklin's health turned poor, John Carroll accompanied him uh, home to Philadelphia. Quote, I find I grow daily more feeble and think I could hardly have got so far but for Mr. Carroll's friendly assistance and tender care for me, unquote. Franklin wrote in a letter along the way home. By the end of the journey, the Did two men... Uh, just a second, this sentence I have to finish. By the end of the journey, these two men were close friends. 
Yeah, equals like each other, don't they? And what they don't tell you, <laughs> what he didn't tell you, that John Carroll took ill in, um, I mean, not, no, uh, Franklin, Franklin Godot, yeah. got ill, and John Carroll was his caregiver for, for nursed him back to help for six months. <clears throat> you might say bosom buddies, then Franklin and the, and you see, and the Carols are left out of all the history books, the children today, the universities. And I'm not just talking about uh, high schools. I'm talking about universities. I mean, people do not know the Carols. It's brilliantly done. Remember what Papa yeah. Saucy said in his book, Walt, about the um, history courses 1914, 1939, 1964, and 1996. Mm -hmm. From every uh, college and from every university, and only one university in 1996. It's all by design. It's omission by design. And if we went back to some of those early even history books, would we find the carols in the history books? I don't see, think so. I mean, see, it, it takes a long time. And when this soaks in, it hits you hard. You mean to tell me that they've just covered up their tracks? <laughs> I mean, when you leave the carols out of history of the founding of the American Revolution, the pieces don't fit. You have history fiction, Walt. You have history you fiction. You remember the term that you said some weeks yeah. ago? Science fiction, history fiction? The people are taught in the schools and the colleges and universities and even in the seminars, history fiction, not history facts. You know, I, you know, even as I say this, I realize, I say, well, Walt, you're repeating yourself. We're repeating ourselves. But you know something? Something that hasn't been put in your head, you have to repeat it to yourself. <laughs> and when you come so, to the grips, when you come to the grips, you see, the American Revolution... And the carols, the carols were counter-reformation. Absolutely. And they were the movers and shakers. They were just as much a mover and shaker as, as the rest of them, so that the American Revolution was counter-reformation. And again, you could not have 2020, that's September 24th, 2015, without the counter-reformation. No. You, you know what a famous man once said, a lie repeated a thousand times becomes the truth. How many times do you think that we have to repeat the truth that it stands against the lie? That's a good point. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Breaking the spell. <laughs> we yeah. have, and that's, that's another good point, Brett. I mean, we, it's like America is in a spell and people, I've had people, when you talk about George Washington, they get real, real... Boy, they, they, I mean, they get sensitive. Yeah. Yep, and sure. and, and they, you got to come to grips. You got to kind of come to grips. I don't want to get into it, but if we, 
because we're going to get to it in the next couple pages. We're going to talk about the Constitution and 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 what uh, Francis Rooney says about the Constitution. So I, that's what I wanted to say. Okay, I just have to finish one sentence and then I leave it over to Brett to finish the fourth part of the first chapter of the book, The Global Vatican. And the last sentence reads, Here was a, at least one fruit of an otherwise futile sojourn, a relationship that would have a crucial effect on Carol's future life and the future of the American Catholic Church. Now, this is a very, very interesting point. And again, thank you, Tom, for bringing that out in the reading of the book, The Global Vatican. There is a difference. And as far as I remember, we also spoke about that on Thursday in our show, or at least one, one of the other days. The American Catholic Church is not like the Roman Catholic Church. Carroll intervened. He pleaded before the Pope, let us build our own hierarchy and not be um, not be subject to you as the head of the church, Mr. Pope, as you are in the Roman Catholic Church, because otherwise this little plant of Catholicism in the United States of America will be trampled upon. We will not survive. We have to make our own structure and we cannot take, let our priests take a vow of obedience to the Pope. And that's how they founded the American Catholic Church as so-called another denomination. Hey, we are just Catholics. We don't accept the Pope as our highest authority. We are just another denomination as all you different denominations and the Protestant churches are. This little sentence, the, the future life and the future of the American Catholic Church, you read so easily over it without understanding what it really means. And nobody I have ever heard in my life can make it clearer than Tom Fress in his reading of the Global Vatican. So please check that out. So maybe you guys have some comments. Anyway, it is on Brett to continue on the last part. <laughs> Comment. They were, they were afraid. The Roman Catholic Church were walking on coals, hot coals. They were because they, the glorious revolution of 1688... Maryland lost almost lost their charter, almost lost their charter twice. In the in the in the, in the glorious revolution of 1688, you see the Protestant the, even they were still under Protestant rule, even in Maryland. They were so they had to be. They that's the reason Charles Carroll. Is left. That's why the Carols are left out of this. They had to walk so lightly. They could have been. They could have been stamped out so easy. If 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 the word would have got out, what they were doing behind the scenes, and the Glorious Revolution was less than was you know just just a hundred years prior. See. 
And, and again, the people on this call, they know about the glorious revolution, but the general public doesn't know anything about the glorious revolution. But the Roman Catholics did. They did. And it was brilliantly done. It was so brilliant that they had to cover completely. They had to have no, they didn't want to see, they wanted all Catholic influence out of the founding of America. And that's where Eric Phelps came into it. His sole purpose was as a distraction and to keep people off of the Catholic founding of America. It was done brilliantly. When you look at Eric Phelps, you're looking at the Hegelian dialectic. It's not what are you saying, it's what they left out on the American Revolution. It's not what they told us about the American Revolution, it's what they left out. When they were talking about the founders, it isn't what they told us about the founders, it was the founders that they left out. It was done brilliantly. It created a patriotic fever that is to even to this day. You've got armies of people that are trying to restore America. The Dominion theology. And little do they know, they're just part of the dialectic. So, you know, it's... It's, it takes your breath away when you finally come to the realization that you've been lied to from from the cradle, you know, from the cradle about America. But I'm, I'm interested in when we get into the next page. Yes, and uh, I just got a quick comment that both of you made some very good points, and I agree. And uh, Tom Fress's work on the Global Vatican is is just it's. So incredibly detailed that, um, yeah, I just really brings me right back every day. Every day, I want to listen to more. You know, <laughs> and it's, if there's any doubting Thomases, any doubting Thomases, listen. I don't know how many broadcasts it's going to be. It's probably up to seventy now, seventy different broadcasts. But he's reading that entire book, mm-hmm. and um, once you get through that book you're going to have a master's degree in history. That's right. You're not going to be able, and then the general public's not going to know it. Are any college graduate, you could walk, you could walk right on the, the campus of Georgetown University. Those mm-hmm. students today that are walking those halls, they don't know this history. They know humanism, though. They yeah. know about they know about the right. environmental movement. They know about global warming. They know the agenda of the Pope. They're learning the Pope's agenda is what they're learning. That's my comment. Okay, back to the reading, part four of chapter one. The mere fact that Charles and John Carroll had struck out in or I'm sorry, had stuck out their necks for the American cause was evidence that their religion, whatever its perceived flaws, produced more or produced good and reliable patriots. Comments? Mm-hmm. Patriots to a country, I remind you, 
not patriots to the kingdom of Christ, but patriots to the Antichrist. Okay, then uh, I'll continue. Over the next several years, many more Catholics would give their hearts and lives to the cause of liberty, proving themselves to be as American and as Protestant. I'm sorry, let me redo that uh, sentence. Over the next several years, many more Catholics would give their hearts and lives to the cause of liberty, proving themselves to be as American as any Protestant. Eventually, of course, America would ask France, a Catholic nation, for help. The victory at Yorktown in the autumn of 1781 and, more generally, independence itself, would ever have been possible without the support of nearly 8,000 French troops and Admiral de Grassi's blockade. Yorktown was still very much in the future in the spring of 1776, but the Carrolls returned from Canada to a land already undergoing extraordinary changes, some of which would have been inconceivable in the colonies even a few years earlier. That July, Charles Carroll joined 55 other Americans in signing the Declaration of Independence and endorsing these words, quote, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, unquote. Comment, please. Mm-hmm. Um, you read over this, uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident. And you have to understand there is but one truth, and that's the word of God. These words, we hold these truths to be self-evident. These are engineered words to specifically reject the biblical idea of revelation or prophecy that comes from heaven as the authority of human government. This contradicts completely Colossians 2, verse 8. And there comes the quote that Walt was looking for. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. That was my comment to be considered, please, when reading this. Thank you. Okay, back to the next sentence. As the only Catholic, excuse me, as the only Catholic signer, Carol could not endorse that passage without understanding very personally what these un, excuse me, these unalienable rights entailed. Freedom to worship as we saw fit. Comment. Freedom to worship as he saw fit. Oh. Who is he? The Pope saw fit. The Roman Catholic Church saw fit. The Antichrist saw fit. Read between the lines, I warn you. This book is full of casuistry and sophistry, and this is one of the fine examples of it. 
Carroll could not endorse that passage without understanding very personally what these unalienable rights entailed, freedom to worship as the Antichrist saw fit. That's how you should understand the sentence. Please, Brett, continue. Okay, next paragraph. Right up until the revolution, no colony, with the exception of Pennsylvania, had allowed Catholics to celebrate Mass. Now, one by one, the former colonies began passing laws that extended to Catholics full rights of citizenship and religious freedom. As the constitutional scholar Leo Pepper points out in his book Church, State, and Freedom, the Americans were practically forced by their own logic to grant religious freedom. They could not insist on, quote, self-evident, unquote, and, quote, unalienable rights, unquote, while denying some fellow citizens the self-evident of unalienable rights, the freedom to worship as they pleased. Quote, thoughtful persons could not fail to see the inconsistency, unquote, Pepper writes. Quote, between the practices of religion, discrimination, and natural rights doctrines of freedom and equality set forth in the Declaration of Independence, unquote. Comment, please. Mm-hmm. The sentence that you've just read, uh, they could not insist on self-evident unalienable rights while denying some fellow citizens that most self-evident unalienable rights the freedom to worship as they pleased, as they pleased. So what are we talking about here? As they pleased and not as it pleases God to be worshipped. There is a big difference between the worship of a Catholic and the worship of a Bible-believing Christian. A Bible-believing Christian worships God in the way that it pleases God. And a Roman Catholic, as you can read, worships freedom as as he pleases. I think that's quite an important point to make. But uh, please continue, Brad. Absolutely. I I agree completely. Freedom of conscience, I will add to that comment. Absolutely, yeah. I, I couldn't cover it all. I have you for something on this call, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm so glad to be here, you guys. All right, so here we go back to the reading. Uh, the next paragraph. 189 years after the signing of the Declaration of Independence, the Second Vatican Council would pass its own breakthrough declaration on religious freedom known as Dignitatis Humanae. This Catholic church, having deemed itself the only legitimate religion on earth for centuries, finally in 1965 recognized other religious faiths as worthy of respect and freedom of worship. Drafted by an American Jesuit named John Courtney Murray, Dignitatis Humanae would be a striking case of America's experiment in democracy influencing Catholic Catholic thought, or universal thought, I might add. Long before the church leaders learned about the liberty of America, though, 
the Catholic founding fathers were learning such lessons from the Catholic Church. To be sure, the founders' debt to the Church was was an inherited one, which they probably did not even know they owed. Thomas Jefferson, excuse me, uh, my screen just went blank here. Uh, Let's see, where am I at? Where are we? Thomas Jefferson credited his influence for the declaration of John Locke, the first English philosopher who despised Catholicism so intensely that he neglected to include it as a religion deserving of toleration. Jefferson had his own concerns about the Catholic Church, considering it anti-democratic. Quote, history, I believe, furnishes no example of a priest-ridden people maintaining a free civil government, unquote. He wrote to Alex... Oh, yes, I'm sorry. I just went blank because I... Yeah, that's okay. Can't hear myself um, the way I have things set up, but anyway. He wrote to Alexander von Humboldt on December 6, 1813. Nonetheless, Jefferson joined James Madison and other founders in composing a constitution that extended freedom of worship to all religions, including Catholicism. The founders recognized, as John Locke never did, that the logic of human rights demanded the acceptance of full religious freedom. Yeah, we could do a comment for an hour about that, doesn't sentence, right? <laughs> oh, man. That is really a mouthful. <laughs> this little sentence, you know. <laughs> I mean, when you look at what they just said, you know, you know that, that is what Catholicism is, is, hum, is humanism. It's nothing but philosophy, and you know, it's it's it, that you, you know it takes your breath away. That when I looked at that, I read that just now. It you know, the logic of human rights demanded the acceptance of full religious freedom. Where is religious freedom in the kingdom of Christ? I ask you, and when you say that the United States of America was founded a Protestant nation, was founded on the principles of Christ. Where can you have religious freedom in the kingdom of Christ? I want to know. And yet we have a whole army of patriots that are calling the founders Christian. That's it's it's a and they they instill that in. And they simply just did it by by propaganda and education. You know. And it's so subtle, so subtle. They did it so, and, and and it caught us all. There's not there's not a person in this in this call. We've all we've all at one time we did we weren't this we weren't told the other side of the coin. See, we weren't, we didn't, we didn't have the humanism. Like humanism was thrown at us, like especially this last fifty years, at every angle. You know, I mean, but that 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 statement there is, I, 
is I I got no comment. But it just takes your breath away. It just mm-hmm. takes your breath away. It does. Mm-hmm. It does. You know. Shall I continue? Please. Okay. Bringing. Excuse me. Start over here. Bringing this full circle. If the founders owed their inspiration to John Locke, Locke himself probably owed more to influences that preceded him. Catholic influences, that is. Than he ever would have admitted. The renowned medievalist scholar Brian Tierney has shown that that precedents for natural rights theory go back to 12th century canon law and include Aquinas's expression of the social compact of the consent of the governed noted earlier. Comments? Yes, please. Reminding ourselves here that Aquinas' teaching is based on Greek philosophers, Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. Remember Revelation 13, a beast like unto a leopard, which resembles the Greek empire that was before the Roman Empire arose. The greatest part of Roman Catholicism is rooted in the Greek Empire, where it derives its humanism and New Age theology from. This is really something. It gets better with every sentence. And I'm sorry, I still have to make a few comments while you continue reading. So, oh, I know it just blows my mind. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go back one sentence if you don't mind, so we can just kind of. Get the rhythm of this. Um, yeah, good. The renowned medievalist scholar Brian Tierney has shown that precedents for natural rights theory go back to 12th century canon law and include Aquinas' expression of the social compact of the consent of the governed noted earlier. From these evolved the modern concept of God-given self-evident rights possessed by all individuals by virtue of their being born human and which all humans can recognize by virtue their capacity for reason among the Lockean sounding ideas considered in earlier Catholic theology, particularly by Jesuit thinkers, were first that rulers rule by the consent of the ruled, and second, that the rulers themselves are subject to the rules of natural law. Comment. Yes. Now compare this, what Brett just read, with Romans 13, that the powers that rule are ordained of God. For there is no power but of God, The powers that be are ordained of God. We ought to obey the powers that be that are ordained of God and not of consent to man. And I just uploaded last week a very important video of Tom Fress explaining to you Romans 13. And to fully understand what I just said and what Brett read here just a second ago, please understand that you have to go to that video and understand Romans 13. It says that rulers rule by the consent of the ruled. No, that's not true. 
We have to go to Romans 13 to understand that. The powers are ordained of God and not to the consent of man. So I don't throw myself under the rule of man. I throw myself under the rule of God. And uh, a little bit earlier, you were reading about which all humans can recognize by virtue of their capacity of, for reason. Reason meaning in the understanding of man and not in the understanding of God. As far as God is taken out of the Constitution or never was in there in the first place, he is also taken out in all of the teachings that Francis Rooney puts in his book, The Global Vatican. And you have to read between the lines to understand that. No. Please continue, Brad. Yes. Next paragraph. American ideals, in other words, may owe more to Catholic thought than most of us recognize. For the simple reason that Western thought was Catholic thought for millennia, this was the philosophical and theological tradition from which Locke's and Jefferson's ideas arose. Again, a comment, please. Mm-hmm. The ideas that arose here contrary to, is, is contrary to Protestant thinking that despises the traditions of man. The Bible despises the traditions of man, and that's what it's here about. The, theolo- the philosophical and theological tradition from which Locke's and Jefferson's ideas arose. Tradition is contradictory to Bible and the Word of God. That's it. Okay. Next paragraph. I am hardly the first person to notice commonalities between the Declaration of Independence and Catholic theology. Again, a comment. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Sure. Therefore, as stated by us before, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution are not Protestant documents. Here we have admission by a Catholic, a Knight of Malta himself, when he says, I am hardly the first person to notice commonalities between the Declaration of Independence and Catholic theology. What is that? <laughs> what is that? That is not Protestant document. That is Roman Catholic. That is Roman. That is universal. That is Babylon as its finest, as I can put it. Good comment. Okay. All right. In the 19... I'll start the next sentence here. In the 1920s, at a time when anti-Catholicism was flaring up yet again in America, a number of Catholic scholars attempted to polish their patriotic credentials by making the cause that the declaration was shaped... The case. Sorry, the case. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Yes, the case. Let me start that sentence again here, uh, back up. Um, in, the, in the 1920s, at a time when anti-Catholicism was flaring up yet again in America, a number of Catholic scholars attempted to polish their patriotic credentials by making the case that the Declaration was shaped directly by the Catholic tradition of natural law. Some even suggested that Thomas Jefferson had read Catholic literature. The evidence for this seems thin. Nonetheless, 
Jefferson's words are strikingly similar in some cases to those of St. Thomas Aquinas and Robert Bellarmine, to name just two. In the 19, in, I'm sorry, in 1930, a Catholic priest named John C. Ragger made the comparison explicit in a side-by-side comparison of one of these concerned the natural rights of humans. Jefferson, 18th century, quote, all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, unquote. Bellarmine, 16th century, quote, all men are equal, not in wisdom or grace, but in the sense and natural or in nature of mankind, unquote. Aquinas, 13th century, quote, nature made all men equal in liberty, though not in their natural perfections, unquote. Another of the comparisons concerned governments. Jefferson, 18th century, quote, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, unquote. Comment. Mm-hmm. Here we have it again, the consent of the governed. Really? Let's go back to my earlier comment that I made on Romans 13 here and remind you once again, please watch that video of Tom Fress explaining Romans 13, the consent of the governed. It's very explicit that you understand this. Please continue, Brad. Okay. And uh, I will just uh, go back to remind the listeners that this is uh, under the title Another of the Comparisons Concerned Governments. And uh, we just read Jefferson. Now we're going to Bellarmine. That's a 16th century quote. It depends upon the consent of the multitude to consider over itself a king, council, or other magistrate. This is, indeed, from God, but vested in a particular ruler by the council and election of men, unquote. Aquinas, 13th century, quote, Therefore, the making of a law belongs either to the whole people or to a public personage who has care of the whole people, unquote. Comment. Mm-hmm. The making of a law belongs either to the whole people or to a public personage who has care of the whole people. How about, therefore, the making of the law belongs to God? Isn't God the highest authority? Isn't God the giver of our laws? No. Here are people made gods. New Age thinking, humanism thinking, Greek philosopher thinking. Remember, this quote comes from Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century. He lived until 1274. Therefore, the making of a law belongs either to the whole people or to a public personage who has care of the whole people. So what does he say here? The making of a law belongs whether into a democracy, a so-called democracy, where you have the rule of the whole people or of the majority of the people, or to a public personage who has care of the whole people. That's a king, people. That's a king. And what is the pope? 
Isn't he the king of kings? So Aquinas here uses this Greek philosophy based knowing that he has to tell the people it's whether the Greek form of democracy or it is the feudal system of kings that rule. Where is ever God in his quotes, I ask you? That's it. All right, back to the reading. Does the fact that many of Jefferson's arguments and phrases echo Catholic theology mean the excuse me mean that the Declaration of Independence was in origin a Catholic document? Certainly not. Neither the comment? founding fathers. Yes. Just a little comment here. I tend to differ from opinion here. It was a universal and Roman thinking all along, using casuistry to disguise the real intentions of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. Think about that. That's right. So, go back to the reading. Certainly not. Neither the Founding Fathers, who were mostly deists, nor the Vatican which had little sympathy for revolutions or democracy or enlightenment thought at that time would have been comfortable with that description. Nonetheless, the similarities should be recognized if for no other reason than to highlight the irony and the absurdity of what followed. Rather than find common ground in joint forces, the United States and the Vatican spent the next 150 years caught up in a web of prejudices and suspicions. Anti-Catholicism would continue to cast a shadow in America deep into the 20th century. It was, according to the historian author M. Schlesinger, Fleischenser Jr. or Senior, I'm sorry, not to be confused with the America's first Catholic. Pre- or I'm sorry, I skipped over that. Let me go back. I'm going to start that sentence again. It was according to the historian Arthur M. Schlesinger Senior, not to be confused with his son Arthur M. Schlesinger Jr., who served as aide to John F. Kennedy, America's first. Catholic president, quote, the deepest bias in the history of the American people, unquote. Comment? Mm-hmm. This was built on the Protestant values that formed that continent in the first place. Knowing who the enemy is and acting accordingly, the deepest bias in the history of the American people. What is the deepest bias in the history of the American people? The so-called deepest bias here is that they were aware of who the Antichrist was, that they were aware of Scripture, and that they knew who the enemy is, and they acted accordingly by forbidding Catholic Mass, by forbidding Catholics to hold office. And all that was wiped away with the Constitution in 1776. Please, but your last sentence. Meanwhile, the Catholic Church was about to undergo a jolt, making it even more wary than it already was of the democratic ideals from which the American experiment had sprung. 
Okay. Are there any final comments you have, Walt? Uh, yes. When, <clears throat> you know, once we recap this, and we have we know the beginning to the end because we we have one mediator. It's in uh, Timothy. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And, uh, you know, I, I, and, and you say, what was the goal and study of this couple hours? What were we trying to, is to give us a clear mind and give us understanding. To, to understand and not follow us some fable. I don't have the Bible verse right there, but you know, we, we are not to follow cunning fables. And but just look at the what we did have in America. One thing that's not mentioned in here, and I don't know if uh, he mentions it later, but it's the Bill of Rights. And the Bill of Rights, you know, the American Revolution was fomented from the top down. But I don't take away, I am not anti-American. But, you know, we we have to look at this, not in, in reality, not fantasy anymore. You know, who controls the American government? Well, when you look who won with the founding of the United States of America nation and who lost, and you take a look back now in 2015, you see that the Protestants lost it all and the Catholics won it all. And the Americans... The, uh, the Constitution, the founding of the, of the nation, the United States of America, was there to install a universal, a Roman Catholic government that does not say that we blame the inhabitants, the people who were duped, who were indoctrinated, who were spiritually fomented, and all the time, they are not the ones who are to blame, but the government is the ones that we blame. But by blaming the government, we should also consider giving a little blame to the people who allowed the government to become as powerful as it is today. Yep. And let's be honest, nowadays there is no chance that we all turn it back. But there is a chance that we take a lesson out of it and that we turn to Christ as our Savior and say, whatever happens here in this world, whatever happens over here in the United States of America or over here at my place in Europe, we cannot change the things that, the way, that, the, that they have taken in the run of history, because our forefathers maybe made some faults. We also made mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes because the Bible says there's not one righteous, no, not one. We all make mistakes, but we can at least learn from our mistakes and correct them or our errors, because an error only becomes a mistake when you refuse to repair it and to acknowledge it, as JFK said. That is what we have to do, and turn back to Christ. And my point is that when you want to be patriotic, 
than be patriotic to the kingdom of Christ if you want to belong there, and not to an earthly kingdom. Neither the United States, the European Union, Russia, China, Australia, Africa, wherever you are, there is not the solution to be found. But please, Walt, you had some comments. Well, we've spent most of the time talking about the founding of America and the government, but it wasn't the government that brought us down. It was the infiltration of the seminaries and Bible colleges. That brought the people down, yeah. That brought the people down. That, in other words, they, in the apostasy in this country is it such, it's so heavy. You know, I'm not going to get into this to any full extent, but I had some fellowship yesterday. In the word sodomy, <clears throat> you know, it's much bigger. Got people talking about same-sex marriage. You see, sodomy is not connected just to the per people that are participating in same-sex marriage, uh, uh, unappropriate sexual relations. Sodomy goes much further than that. It's the con it's it's the, the condoning of it. And now, you might say, well. See, it's not the American people. The percentage of American people out here are against sodomy. <clears throat> but the reality is our government is, a, is run by sodomites. The United States of America is sodomy in full action. To see, to be a sodomy, to, 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 to pass sodomy, it is, you, you, you don't, it's the people that voted it in, okay? But when the Pope was here, he got 10 standing ovations, and over 40 times he was interrupted. That house that he was in was a house, a temple, was a temple of worship was designed for someday for him to come over here in that temple. And sodomy is much bigger than we want to accept. That Congress, they are sodomites. Sodomy, and we know what God thinks of sodomy. We might say we blame the government, the government, the government. Now, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights was nothing wrong with it if they would obeyed it. But we know Rome's history. The reason why we have sodomy in this country, because the biggest sodomy organization in the world is the papacy. The Pope is a sodomite. That's reality. See, I'm not worried about losing listenerships, you know, following that my my collection will uh, my the people contributing to this broadcast all of a sudden dries up. Well, it never did fill up in the beginning with. I don't have nothing. I mean, I I don't have any sugar daddies. 
And uh, if you want to listen to a a good sermon on sodomy is Tom Fress's sermon on the Romans chapter 1. And we've been missing it, folks. What do you think to all these movies? And, you know, I talked to a man that was in the Missouri Missouri government. 37% of, of Missouri's state government are, are run by sodomites. See, 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 see to not to take a stand, the people in the streets, the people in the streets in this America, they didn't, they didn't, if, if a, they voted it down, to, I think twice in California, but six out of the nine chief justices of the United States are Roman Catholics, and they passed sodomy. We as Americans, and how many pastors and pulpits in this country are exposing the sodomites? It's a, it's a, it's a, you know. So what is the post visit of, of, of Francis done for me? What is what do we where where do we go from here? Let's not go too long, Walt, because we're already more than two yeah. hours. So we have yeah. another broadcast. <laughs> yeah, but but if this has this this think about this, do we make another video? We I'm telling you, brothers and sisters. That they're on this call and listen to the, to, the, to the hour of the truth. The solution, the solution, is God's word. And That's the, what I said. And the oh, simplicity, the simplicity of the gospel. The gospel absolutely. is completely gone from the pulpits of the United States. They're no longer. It's no longer there. Because no, he, America, America he, has fallen for the idolatrous and superstitious religion of Catholicism. And I'm using the, I'm using yeah. the example of J. A. Wiley. <clears throat> you know, you have Christ, and his shadow is the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and we have to shine our light. We have to shine our light. And we, it's, it's history. It's history. Rome, this is a Catholic world. Not just the United States. The United States was the last one to fall. And it, and it's, you know, and it took them a couple hundred years. And the reason they were able and successful in doing it is they took the pulpit over. We can stick on government for the cows come home. But if the people in America were opening their, their Bibles, they'd know who the Antichrist is. Oh, they're reading the Bible, but they're jumping over chapters. They're jumping over Daniel and Second Thessalonians and Revolution and Revelations. The problem is people are not teaching the Bible. 
And these seminaries and Bible colleges are putting out nothing but Roman Catholics. If you're going to a church that has, you're listening to a seminarian or a Bible college student, you're listening to Roman Catholicism. And the source is is to, there's only one mediator. You know, and I, I, you know, there's a part of me, you know, it's, it hurts when you see the reality of what happened last week. But we have to get on our knees and repent. We, you, you on this, we're, we're not going to change, we're not going to change one thing in this world. We're not going to change any of this. But boy, read Galatians chapter 5. Read Corinthians, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. How are we supposed to treat each other? I'm concerned, I'll tell you what, I am not concerned with the sodomites in this country. I'm interested in the, in the fellowship. The few people, the children of God, I'm talking the people on this call are children of God, or they wouldn't have stuck this long on this call. God bless everyone, and I appreciate the the encouragement that I've got. We don't get a lot, but they're out there. People need fellowship. People need how to have to learn how and, and share each other's burdens a little bit. We're, you know, I mean, we need to get back to that Bible. Back to the basics. Back mm-hmm. to the basics, that's right. And anyway, thanks for coming, and I, uh, you know, God bless you all, and I, I really appreciated the fellowship that I, wasn't for this little broadcast and a few people that I talk to and call me once in a while, it's a, I feel really blessed. It was very nice to have you on, Walt, and your comments are very much appreciated that you gave today and that you gave on the other times. And just to set one thing right that you said on the last broadcast when I called you out about last Sunday, don't (laughs) forget, don't forget, I have no problem with you taking the broadcast and speaking for an hour and a half. I have a problem when you do that when we announce something else first. Well... You know, Today we did I want to also Sunday, and I really like what you did last Sunday, but not under the under the name that we gave it. So but let's be this, clear of that. I'm not mad at you. No, just, I know you're not. Well, I know, you know, and it's I, just I'll, that you know, officially, openly. Now <laughs> I said that, so that's right. I had to get rid of my heart. You but know? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you something. I come from the baby 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 boom generation. You might say I came from the generation that blew it. <laughs> You know, you might say I had relatives, and I raised by aunts and uncles and grandparents, and I'm old enough to be your father. And when some, you know, and I only, I only thing, and I'm so blessed to to be able to have you as a brother, and to be able to get out of out of the little bubble. Because most Americans are in a little bubble. 
and it, they've never got out of their little bubble. And 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 the internet and the, and having a brother in um, in uh, in Europe. I mean, I, I'd give anything to hug your neck. But it, it only you know it's. But the thing of it is, is this. This is a good time to talk about this a little bit. You know, it's a spiritual battle. Oh, it always was because we wrestle not against flesh, but into uh, but against principalities and power and high places and wickedness. And, and let me let me let me let me say we we have demonic spirits that we're fighting. If you're watching, all around us, yeah. If you're watching TV, and if you're not armed, you know. Uh, and we have the GMO th thrown at us, the vaccines, you know, chemtrails. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to say chemtrails. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You know, our food. Spiritual chemtrails, Brett. I yeah. don't know if you, and, if you missed and, that. A few weeks ago, he was talking about Oh, no, about I that. got that. I got that. And, and, and oh, the, yeah. thing of, the thing of it is, it is important to know this history because it gives you understanding. Because without history, you don't have any, uh, any, 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 uh, any culture. It, it, that's right. In other words, uh, you know, uh, uh, I have so much compassion for younger men because they're in the battle. They're they're right there in the trenches right now. I mean, uh, I mean, I I've had a cakewalk in my life. I mean, I have nothing to whimper about because. I mean, the stuff that's being thrown at our young people today, you know, and to realize this, I say this to the people that are listening, listen to this call. You're all right. Take a walk. Things get too tough. Take a walk. Get some fresh air. Because if, you, if you're not feeling a little bit of, of this, you're, you're, not, you're not spiritually right. You should. We should be seeing some of this, you know. But we should be feel blessed because the faith that you have has been given to you. The grace that you have has been given to you. It continually, I continually when I when I share with people, I say, "Well, when when did you learn about this? When did you learn about who the?" The, pap the papacy. When did you learn about the, the Antichrist? And I'll tell you, I've, you know, we have been blessed to understand this. It's not real good news to be happy, but we're living in a time of grace right now. I mean, and we have to keep a smile on our face. There's, there's, not, there's, there's no, because uh, we're not going to change one thing. We're not going to turn this around. Only God, and the only hope we have is the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's going to happen. It's going to be destroyed by the, the bright, his brightness. You know, it's, it's, going to, it's going to change. There is, there is a beginning and there is an end. And I'm, not, I'm no date setter, but we're closer to the end than the beginning. Than sure, the, that's for sure. You know, so... I I appreciate it, you know, uh, and you know, all I'll say to you, you know, York, is I'm, 
uh, the only difference between me and being 71, I've just made more mistakes than you have. <laughs> and so some of the things that you're thinking right now, are, you know, and, and another thing, the things we think of today, we're growing on a daily basis. I can't, I can't uh, uh, charge you for something or criticize you for something that you were five, six years ago. We, we, I mean, this, when you have Christ, you have a life-changing effect. It takes the unsurety away. And I have to admit to some of the, you know, some of this stuff we're going to un- have to unplug from some of this. We, there's so much misinformation. Get a good book. Start with the Bible. And start with, and start with the Bible. I met a man here this last week, and he's 61 years old. And uh, he, he knew about the Antichrist when he was 37. See, he knew, he knew when he was 37. And he didn't know anything about the carols. He learned the carols on the hour, he, on the hour of the truth. That's where he learned about the carols. But see, we're all, we, all are, we all come down a different crook, a different stream. And we, we learn at different rates. And we've all been blasted with so much misinformation. I mean, I go back. I can remember when Tom Fress read Rulers of Evil the first time. I mean, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. And you know what? You know what it's really caused me? And the man I met, when you have some battles, you've got repent. You learn how to repent. You've got to repent. When you find a mistake in your life, you got to repent of it. And we've all made mistakes. Well, and my th- first mistake starts when I, in the morning, get out of bed. And that's right. We, we, when we get up, when we get up, we got to reposition ourselves every single day. And some of this history, I mean, it, it's a hard pill to swallow. It's a hard pill to swallow, but it's the truth. Well, when you swallow lies for forty years. And then you get the truth stumped into you in, I don't know, two, three, four years maybe. Then you have a lot to unlearn. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. Then, it feels, then it feels like, oh, oh, stop, stop. I can't take it anymore. And it's often overwhelming. And I mm-hmm. understand that. Yes, it is. And that's why it's, we, it's the we same, got... It's the same that it was for me. And it was, the, it was the same for you, Walt. And I guess it was the same for Brett. Absolutely. And I guess it was also the same for a lot of the listeners in our broadcast right now. We all have this problem that we are raised in a world of lies. And then when all of a sudden the light of the truth comes into our life, it is so blending, like looking into a million watts bulb you know can mm-hmm. you imagine that what's yeah. the first thing that you do when you are confronted with that kind of light you close your eyes and <laughs> my uh, only counsel that i have and i know of i've been blessed i have several people i i mean i got york i got brett i mean i this this broadcast is uh, has opened a lot of I, i've got somebody i can talk to but if any listener on here you you, you know 
if you don't have anybody, call call one of us just to talk. Mm-hmm. Just to just to I mean, you're the world. You take God out of your life, and you became you become insane instantly. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The and, people that put us insane in the institutions are the sane ones. Yeah, and, and, and listen, when you, when, you, when, you, when you know a man that walks around in a white robe and a fish hat with red shoes and calls himself God, <laughs> he's insane. He, he's, he believe, I mean, it's insanity. And when people come to the grips of how this is right in front of us, Yes, the, we are all right. It's the world that's insane. And we are, we, you know, I, I, I got this today off the, off the Internet. You know, man's religion is to build up the creature. Oh, boy, you know, go to the football game. We, got, we have to football game and have a, we got to see our hero. God's religion is to throw the creature down in the dust of south abasement and to glorify Christ. It's all images, Walt. You know, sports, the stars, the movies, the television, it's all idols that we are bowed down to. And what does the Bible say about idols? Don't do it. <laughs> it, it all comes down to that, you know. And, and the biggest idolatry, the biggest cult in the world, Roman Catholicism that has its roots, as I said in the beginning of the broadcast, actually that was giving comment on, what was it, the second sentence of, uh, of the book? Right. right. Remember? Mm-hmm. It was about, uh, try to get back here, but hell, my computer is loading very, very slowly. The Roman Catholic Church has been around for more than 2,000 very eventful years, the author said. And I said, and here we encounter the first lie. <laughs> the Church of Jesus has been around for that time. The Catholic Church, which should add Roman to her title, is not the continuation of the true church, the first Christians, the Apostles' Church, or in other words, the true church of the one and only God of the Bible. The Roman Catholic Church can be seen as being founded by Constantine in 321 when that Roman emperor ruling from Constantinople baptized the pagan Roman religion with the garments of Christianity to stop the gospel from spreading like wildfire. When you really want to go back to the roots of the Roman Catholic Church, you have to go back more than 4,000 years, back to Babylon. Rome is the new Babylon. Sure is. It's, it's not the new Babylon. It's always been Babylon. Uh, uh, you know, it's Babylon. I mean, Babylon has been been going. I mean, it's just an extension, and they grabbed a hold of they grabbed a hold of Christianity because they could see the power in it. They could see the power in the people and the control. Now, you know, we, you know, Brett, do you have right in in your fingertips, do you have that poem that you uh, wrote? Oh yeah, just oh. give me a quick. Could, could you could you could you read that? I I want you to read a poem, and then I've got a poem. I want to read a poem. Okay, I think I may have brought it over by my other computer. Just give me a quick yeah. sec. I'll be right back. Yeah. Well, we'll close. Yeah. We, we we run over a little bit on this one here, uh, York, but uh, I think no, it's kind of good. I think it's kind of good. It it would be. Um, a kind of a time, uh, I, I think, uh, 
to have some time of a, a call where people can just uh, share back and forth a little bit, a little bit of fellowship. Uh. Well, you know my, <clears throat> you know what I think about that. It is not about the quantity; it's about the quality of the message. Yes, and right. when the quality of the message takes that time, then it takes that time. I don't care. Yeah, but you know, but, but you see, but you see uh, what. What, what I notice when I'm moving around and sharing with different brothers and sisters and, and you know, and I've, you know, I've talked to Canada and, you know, is they, is they, oh, sometimes, and I mean, I know what happened to me the other morning when there's somebody calls me, you know, a like-minded brother or sister calls me, you know, and then, and then it's given me more patience because I, 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 uh, I don't know everything that's going on, but I, I, you, you, you know, I, I know, I've learned how to rest in Christ. Mm-hmm. See, in other words, uh, you know, they, you know, they, I don't get sucked into, uh, in, 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 into an argument, into a, something that's going to just, just going to s- s- distract everything. You see, I, I, in other words, I mean, we, the mental health, I mean, of, 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 of America right now and the world. I mean, they are they are bombarding us with so many different that that this is this is our our health is this is what it, I, I had a minister tell me he said you know you can't do it by yourself you need somebody to fellowship with you you can't stand up by yourself you, that's what you need fellowship for and you know the more I think about this it's so true I mean when I some of my I'll tell you the the only value that I have on on this world right now is the brothers and sisters that I talk to and have met. I would get off the internet tomorrow if it wasn't for the communications. I would, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 seeing, and that's why, and that's what you know, I, that's what that's what. It, it, this this understanding world affairs and understanding the global Vatican, you understand mystery Babylon. You know, I mean, and and and, 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 and you know, I had I had a fellow say this to me yesterday. He said when Paul when Paul wrote Second Thessalonians, you know, the world was in was in a turmoil then. I mean, it it was when Paul wrote that it was just as evident in his day that it is in our day. But look at our day compared to Paul's time. I mean, we are living in an apostasy that you, you can't, I mean, man, and the only sanity we have is to lock on to the rock. And it's, that's not the Pope. That's well, not Walt, Walt, sorry to interrupt you here, but I think we should maybe do a broadcast on Romans 1. Well, I don't think we could do a better job than what Tom's already done. I mean, I've got. Yeah, we can do our own job. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, just just yeah. reading just reading verse but, twenty-two, but that, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. This is so important. You you just mentioned yeah. a few minutes ago um, the sodomites and how America became a sodomite nation now with the. Um, same-sex marriage approved by the Constitutional Court, by the Supreme Court of the United States of America. I think it would be very appropriate. And um, 
not, not yeah, to take I, anything away from Tom, but you know, you know well, well, we, we can do our own broadcast on yes, that yeah, and, yes, and yes, our right. own thoughts on that. And yeah, I yeah. think that would be very appropriate in this time. Mm -hmm. yeah, so quite. maybe we should plan that for next Thursday, where we haven't planned anything yet on the agenda anyway. But uh, Brett is there and uh, has his poem. I, I would really like him to, to read that okay. uh, that poem and uh, for our listeners to uh, pick up their ears right now and please listen to what Brett brings to the table in the next few minutes. Brett, okay. go ahead. Yes, so you can hear me clear? Yes. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, uh, this poem was... Uh, written in inspiration of the show uh, from the 17th of September. And uh, that Saturday, I think we, we did a Thursday show, and, uh, and then uh, we were talking online after the show. And um, the next day, or was it Saturday, it really hit me that, um, you know, this is, this is some really heavy stuff going down. The September 24th, uh, Joint session of Congress is uh, a lot bigger than what people are thinking, and they're just caught unaware. They're they're uh, in this country. They're just they're just going about their normal days, working. And you know, I broke away from work, and I was in the chat room. You guys, I I just uh, I had to come and listen to the show. I mean, I just really wanted to hear what you guys had to say, and I didn't care what anyone said at work if I lost two hours for lunch. So, but this, this poem I wrote and, uh, was a week ago, and I, I kind of refined it a little bit. And um, there's one more word that I'd like to add to this, which we were just talking about, was sodomy. But I haven't done that yet, and I haven't really figured it out. But I'm going to give you the poem from, uh, from my uh, perspective here. And it's, um, it's not really a nice poem. Um, it's, it's a reality. So here we go from the top. Oh, wicked land of liberty, what have you done to this country so that every eye around the world can see the reflection of Roman apostasy? Oh, wicked land of liberty, all the men you seduce to idolatry, making our families bow down so effortlessly to the craft of your subtle casuistry. O oh, wicked land of liberty, there was a few of us with eyes to see. The laws you made with your sophistry, your canon law, and your so-called holy see. This wicked land of liberty, you cannot change what you were made to be. God's people must know it's time to see the Roman Pope conquered the land of the free. Well, you know, that, that is a very appropriate poem poem and that what we just experienced on September 24 but here's a poem that was sent to me it, to answer this is the answer to Brett's poem and the two people don't know each other it's our great God Jesus who is king no nation kingdom land or sea is outside his rule, his sight, his degree. Nothing has changed since time begun. All of us children are under his hand. We come from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And it is our rescue, not damnation, that we declare and proclaim. 
the strength and power of Jesus' name, who saves us from the plight of sin, no matter what age our country we're in. It's not this life we seek, but the next, that the world finds too foolish and complex. They have not the promise of Christ, the kingdom of heaven, our eternal life. Don't rest in what you see, but in the Lord of lords and King of kings, who is not slack but long-suffering to save his own, including you and me. Do not despair, my friend. He is not done. Soon all knees will bow to the risen one. And that's our blessed hope. That's a very nice poem. I like that, too. Very good. I think it answers, you know, the pains of our country, your poem. And the answer to your poem is this poem. Oh, that's amazing. Perfect. (laughs) That's the way that I understood it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. that's really good. Yeah, well, listen, I'm, 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 I've, I've said enough now, and I'm ready to sign off when you are. I got the button over here. <laughs> <laughs> you got the Terminator button now. <laughs> I got, I got the button over on my end. So, okay, Walt. Uh, there are no more closing remarks you want to say for today. Nope. I just, okay, then I'll leave it up to uh, Brett, and uh, maybe he has some closing words for our listeners. Sure. I'd just like to thank everybody and, and uh, just very happy to be here and uh, be a part of the, the Hour of the Truth. And uh, I'll give it back to you, Jorg. Okay. Thank you. So thank you for everybody who was listening tonight in the chat room or this, this noon, whatever time you have over there in America right now, one o'clock or something or two o'clock already. Um, it's 20 minutes to 11 p.m. here in Europe. We have come down with the reading of the first chapter of the Global Vatican, and uh, that was absolutely to promote the reading of Tom Press, doing reading the whole book. And you can find that in my playlist, The Global Vatican, on YouTube channel Joggler66 and Joggler's War on Disinfo, my second channel. I also would advise you to go to Walt's website, Grand Design Exposed, and check out all the little pieces that he left there that you only have to connect the dots that he put up there and then you will see a big part of the picture also i want to advise you to go to the youtube channel of brett norman who does fantastic work and is going to start a reading that i advised him to do sorry to have to say (laughs) (laughs) doing the reading of bill Hughes, the secret terrorists and um, i listened to the first chapter today and it was quite interesting to hear somebody else doing the same work that I try to do with the rulers of evil, which will I try to continue in the next days, and also the Babylon Mystery Religion book that I got from Walt's site uh, to read that online. So thank you everyone for in the chat box for being here and attending our, attending our broadcast tonight. Thank you, Walt, for setting the call up. Thank you, Brett, for being such a wonderful guest today and uh, doing a part of the reading of Tom Fress. Uh, uh, promoting the book The Global Vatican and until next time probably Thursday this week we will see each other again or hear each other again God willing until then take care and God bless you bye bye